This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wongal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York. And all the clouds that loud upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measures. Grim-visaged war hath smoothed his wrinkled front, and now, instead of mounting barbered steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasing of a lute. But I, that am not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking-glass, I, that am rudely stamped, and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton, ambling nymph, I that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated of feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world, scarce half made up, and that so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. Why, I... In this weak, piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time unless to spy my shadow in the sun and descant on mine own deformity. And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these fair, well-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was the opening lines of Richard III, read by our guest this week. She is an award-winning actor and writer who played the title role in Bell Shakespeare's 2017 production of Richard III, taking home a Helpman Award as Best Actor. In 2020, she was awarded a Medal of the Order of Australia for her contribution to the performing arts. Most recently, she played the leading role of Sister Harriet in the Amazon Prime video series Hunters opposite Al Pacino. It is my great pleasure to welcome Kate Mulvaney. Kate, welcome to Speak the Speech. <laughs> Hi, James. Thank you for having me. No to worries. Speak the speech. <laughs> <laughs> now, this and, and what a speech, my goodness. This, this speech is really unique, isn't it? Because it's, it's the only Shakespeare play where he starts with a soliloquy from one of the main characters characters bringing us into the story. That's right. Yeah, so often we hear about the character kind of arriving by some other extraneous character going, and here he comes, yep. here she is. <laughs> uh, this one starts front and centre with uh, with Richard III. And I think it's just such a genius move by Shakespeare because he, he gets this character to woo us uh, immediately. Mm. He is a, a, a loathsome, uh, <laughs> a frightening angry little man and the best way to make the audience fall in love with him is to actually have him kind of say hey come along with me 
so you're making he, the audience complicit, really, in, in Richard's you do. journey. He does. Mm. He makes the, the audience complicit, and he uses a variety of tricks to mm. do that. Uh, and, and the first of those tricks is the first word, now, now is the winter of our discontent. Mm. And the reason that Shakespeare, uh, I believe, has used that now is to place it, as in we're all here right now, this is happening now. Mm. Uh, and But also there's a Shakespeare uses the ow sound over and over and over in this first right. initial speech. Uh, uh, and he uses the word our as well. So it's immediately saying to the audience, this is us. I'm talking about all of us here. Yeah. Now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York and all the clouds that loud upon our house. <laughs> and it's so um, sexy and seductive mm. and he, he's wooing the audience to come with him. He also drops a couple of jokes in there. You know, sure. he's got it. He's a, he's cheeky, and he's talking about dancing with ladies and lutes and things. And he he's cheeky, so we we laugh at him. So that when he gets to the point when he says, "By the way, all this joy and beauty and fabulousness that I've just been talking about, our our joy, mm. I'm going to ruin that." Yeah, mm. and he tells us straight away what he's going to do, and from that moment on, you're stuck. Unless you mm. want to walk out of the theatre, <laughs> you are stuck. Um, but he charms you in such a way with this opening speech that you can't help but get a bit addicted. He's like a big uh, sugar stick. You kind of just want to want to keep tasting him. Uh, and, and he keeps and coming back to the audience, doesn't he? He keeps saying, well, look what I just did. Wasn't that amazing? Now watch what I'm going to do next. Watch what I'm going to do next. He tells us every step of the way mm. what he's going to do until about two-thirds of the way through where he actually starts... Uh, uh, keeping us away, keeping us out of the conversation. And so there's a betrayal there. He's made us fall in love with him. He becomes our lover in the very first speech. Mm. But by the end, he's betrayed us. And But all of a sudden, we're too far in. We are complicit. We have supported this monster. Mm. And, uh, and now we have to deal with the repercussions. And then there's a difference in even the sound you were saying um, earlier That's about right. uh, that, that final speech of Richard's. Even the sounds are different in that speech, aren't they? The sounds are so different. The the beautiful sounds, the the vowel sounds, and those wooing sounds that he uses in the in the very first speech. By the end, uh, he's 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 talking about vagabonds, rascals, and runaways, a scum of Britons and base lackey peasants, whom their o'ercloyed country vomits forth. And it's just all these consonants, consonants, consonants. Mm. Uh, when you perform this. <laughs> you, it's terrible for the actors around you because you spit all over them because it's just <laughs> so... He's, he's, he's literally spitting out these words, mm. which is such a contrast uh, to, the, to the first speech. And it also shows the dilapidation of his mind that this man that used to have such control over his vocabulary has lost it right. uh, in the final stages of, of, this, uh, of this play. It's also that first speech really blunt in a way. I mean, we know that Shakespeare loves his opposites and, you know, mm -hmm. lover and villain, winter and summer. He really sets up an us versus them, doesn't he, in that, in he, that first speech? He does. He does. And he does it all with a smile. Mm. You know, it's, it's almost sardonic. This Isn't this wonderful? Isn't it great, this, this world that we're living in at the moment? And it is great. What he's describing is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's peacetime. It's great. It's, it's peace. It's victorious mm. wreaths and monuments and merry meetings and everyone's mm. loving each other. Uh, but he wants us to go the dark side. And we do. We yeah. do because he's so um, convincing.
And does he blame, it looks like in this speech, he's blaming nature, dissembling nature for for his his very character. You, you've made me this way, therefore I will behave this way, yeah? Yeah, I, I think so. I find it fascinating um, as someone who has a disability. I, I uh, when I was pulling apart this speech, I put a lot of uh, quotation marks around those sorts of words. Uh, words like, um, I am rudely stamped. Mm. Uh, I am curtailed of this fair proportion. I've been cheated of feature by dissembling nature. To me, the modern me hears um, every uh, bad diagnosis I ever got. You know, oh. when, when doctors would call my uh, body deformed. Mm. Um, uh, it, it, there, there's certain words, um, unnatural, mm. um, abnormal. There, mm. These are words that shouldn't be used to describe anybody's body, yeah. but you kind of start to live with them um, and they start to eat away at you. He has a f- his version, Richard's version is rudely stamped. Mm. You know, mm. uh, this is what he's been called over and over and over. Dissembling nature uh, has done this to him. And so there's a bitterness there. And the only way I could ever allow myself to use those words, uh, even in character, was to put quotation marks around them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that I, I didn't want him to be saying that about himself. I much preferred it that it was something that he'd been taught was wrong with him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Now, I know that you remember well that day that Richard's body was found under that car park in Leicester. How did you feel that day just looking at those bones that were found in that spine? Well, it was extraordinary because that was my spine. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, I Obviously, uh, I have a lot of um, x-rays and MRIs that have come from my uh, spinal, my own personal spinal condition. Uh, and unfortunately, part of that condition is that it gets worse as the years go by. Mm. And it was almost like it was it was like our paths had crossed or our timelines had crossed in that car park. I went, uh, my husband called me out and he said, look at this. He said, that's you. It's your x-rays. And I went, yeah. And then it said it's Richard III. And I, I was very emotional wow. because I realized how much pain he must have been in. Sure. Uh, it's not a... Uh, that terrible term hunchback uh, that I've had uh, used on myself as well. It's not that at all. Mm. Even, you know, it's, it's a curved spine. It's a, it's a severely curved spine, but it it comes with its own other kind of side effects. And to know that about him, so many things fell into place for me. In my research for Richard, I also discovered that he was, he wasn't a great foot soldier, but he was a fabulous, fabulous, uh, horsemen right uh because the saddle uh the saddles that they used back then were quite high and so Mm. they could keep him upright and they gave him a sort of brace for his back and he was a really excellent excellent um soldier on horseback uh so it kind of made sense to me that his desperate scream, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse, wow. yeah. uh, when he's on the ground sort of flailing around the Battle of Bosworth, it was just this, um, I really felt for him because I thought, I know what that, I know your spine, 
I know that when you live with a spine like that, you find the thing that is best for you. And when it's taken away from you, you really suffer. And it would have been a terrible way to go the way he did. But I felt, I felt for him when, when those bones came out. I really did. Yeah, and in fact, um, not only the connection that you have um, physically with Richard, but isn't there a family connection as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the really, really strange thing that happened as well was uh, around the time I got cast as Richard, like only about a week after Pete had asked me to take on the role, uh, we got a phone call from a, a family member that we hadn't met before but he was researching his family tree and he was tracking down everyone around the world. And he called my mum and he said, you know, just just letting you know you're in my family tree. And they had a lovely conversation. And she said, who else is in the tree? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, well, we've got, and he had some, some names. And he said, there's even a king in there uh, way back. <laughs> and uh, and mum, mum asked him who it was and he told her and she called me. And she said, "Oh, you'll love this. There's a uh, we're related to uh, one of the one of the fellas from Rich from, from one of the fellas from Shakespeare." <laughs> and I said, "Who?" And she said, "Oh, I can't, she couldn't remember his name." She said, "The one in the car park with the bad back." Oh no! And I went, "Mum, that's Richard the Third. Mum has never been a big Shakespeare aficionado, sure, sure. Uh, so I hadn't actually told her that I'd been cast as him at, uh, until now. And so it was this really weird." Um, Kind of sequence of events that made me that made me go maybe maybe I am right to play to play him. <laughs> How extraordinary! That's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah. then playing the role, it's I mean, it's such a physically demanding role. I had the uh, you know the great honor of playing Buckingham and watching watching you kind of unfurl that performance every night and you know it's absolutely exhausting and then you've got a sword fight at the end of it i mean how how do you how how do you maintain the stamina to 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 get through a season like that he is the most uh physical character i have ever played and that that's including moliere farces Mm. and and you know doing a lot of the meyerhold and biomechanic stuff that that I have done at Bell Shakespeare. The great thing was I was able to lean into my own disability, which strangely made it a little bit easier. I wasn't I didn't have to put on any anything. I have his body and so I just had to lean into it a little bit right. more. But that was difficult in itself because I was breaking all of these rules that are, over the years so many uh specialists had been teaching me to 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 break if, yeah. if possible to the extent that I could. Uh, but I, I also found I couldn't eat before playing him. It just my actual stomach inside couldn't take him being hunched over it. And so mm. I had to ask, I don't know if you remember this, but I had to ask that lollies were placed all around the stage yes. <laughs> so that if I ever felt a bit faint, and I did, I often felt faint sure. because I couldn't have a proper meal before, um, I could just you know, have a red snake or yeah. a biscuit or something. There's a reason we had that biscuit scene. We had a biscuit scene. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah, so it was very physically demanding. And then you do, it was, it was lovely, you know, I'd get to Interval and uh, and Gareth uh, Reeves, who, who was playing uh, Clarence, uh, would be so kind as to just stretch me at Interval. Mm, and then we'd mm. run off and do a sword fight. To, mm. at interval as well just to practice for the sword fight in the show but it was honestly I would get to um, 
that speech, the uh, the spitting speech, and it it was like my mind was going, "That's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. Now we're done." <laughs> Surely it's over. Night, every night I go, "Oh God, there's the sword fight." So yeah. then we'd have the sword fight, and then he should be dead, but we decided to add an extra speech at the end of that <laughs> sword fight. That's right. So I'd get through the sword fight and go, "Oh God, now I've got that other speech," and it was all I could muster to get up and actually do a bow. Was I was spent at the end of every mm. night and. Uh, Oh, I went home and ate some food Ooh, every I bet. night. Oh, I'd eat some. <laughs> I'd eat three meals at the end of every night. So, fast forwarding a couple of years, you get the opportunity to play a lead role in a TV show opposite Al Pacino, who <laughs> who himself has famously played Richard the Third. Now, I'm really curious to know: <laughs> Did you have Richard the Third chats with Pacino? We did, and I was so nervous. Al is the most warm, generous, kind, impish person. <laughs> there was absolutely no reason for me to feel nervous about this. But of course I was nervous. Uh, I was playing a nun as well. So I was often sitting in this sort of habit. Yeah. Um, and Josh Radner, who's in the show, who plays Lonnie Flash, he kept saying to me, tell him, tell Al, tell Al, <laughs> tell Al that you played Richard III. Tell Al that you, you, do, you do a lot of Shakespeare. Yeah. And I said, I, no, I just don't know him well enough yet. And, you know, what's he going to care? He probably has, who cares? Anyway, one day, <laughs> uh, I think a light had blown on set and we were all kind of stuck together in the room. And uh, Josh said, Al, what's your favourite What's your favorite character you've ever played on stage? Mm. And Al said, Richard III. Oh. Richard III. There is no one like Richard III. And there's your opening. And he and yeah, and he, well, it wasn't. I was still. Would you believe? I still sat there, and and Josh was looking across the room at me with his eyes wide, and I was shaking my head, going, no, no. And then he said, Al, there is another Richard III in the room. Do you know this? And Al said, Have you played it to 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 Josh? And Josh said, No. And he pointed to the nun in the corner. <laughs> And uh, and from that moment on, Al and I chatted about Shakespeare all the time. Mm. I showed him pictures of the Bell production. Oh, He's like, great. we got to do this again. you got to put it on. I, I want to come and see it. And it was just he <laughs> – but we, we discussed it a lot. And, um, you know, I was able to say to him, I shared, I share Richard's disability. Mm. Uh, I said to him, what would you – uh, you know, because he, he was very intrigued by how I entered the stage – Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I said, well, I kind of crept on. The audience didn't see me. I came on while the house lights were still on, mm. but the stage was sort of semi-dark, and I just sat quietly with my back to the audience. And some people noticed I was there, and some people I did, some people didn't, and then I'd kind of turn and spot them. Uh, How did he do it? He, um, <laughs> Something he completely had someone, different. He had someone chase him on stage. <laughs> he had someone... He, they weren't seen, but he would in the dressing room. He had um, he had some lady that was uh, assisting him, and every night he apparently he would get her to kind of whack him and chase him on stage. <laughs> so, so he would scurry on, scurry on like a spider. Yeah, and, right. And yeah. I said, well, I said, well, we were both playing little spiders, weren't we? I just mm. kind of appear when you least expect it, didn't you? You ran on, and he said, yeah. But he also said something that I found really interesting. He said he's exhausting. He said, I've never moved so much as a character. And mm, I mm. said, yeah, I was the same. And I remember John Bell saying on the opening night of Richard III, he said, be careful how much you move because you're going to wear yourself out. Find moments of respite. And I took his advice on that. And 
I did allow myself moments of just sitting, mm. leaning. Um, I leaned on all of you a lot. Because yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that, but it had to be done. Just, I, I was all kind of hands and leaning and um, that was because he's a little spider. You're listening to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm James Evans and my guest today is Kate Mulvaney. Kate, where did you first hear about Shakespeare? What was your first exposure to Shakespeare? Was it as a kid? Was it from a teacher? I had no exposure to Shakespeare as a kid. Right. I mean, I I went to a great school. It was, it was a very public country school. We could choose to do English Lit or just English, and I just chose English, and all the English Lit kids did Shakespeare, but I didn't um, – I, di- I had no interest, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, I had no exposure to Shakespeare. Right. Uh, even in the theatres of, of my country town, it just wasn't um, something that appeared there. When I started at university, at Curtin University, they did an all-female Hamlet and I got cast oh, yeah. as Claudius. And around the same time, the Bell Shakespeare Company started touring to Geraldton, where I'd just come from. <laughs> so Geraldton was now immersed with beautiful Shakespearean tours and stories and actors but I was, uh, I'd missed that and I was, in, um, I was in, at, at Curtin University and I randomly got cast as Claudius, the villain, the villainous stepfather, mm. and I worked really, really hard so that I didn't embarrass myself in front of all the mostly Perth kids who had studied Shakespeare. And I'll never forget the moment that I just fell in love with it. It was during a rehearsal and I realised that Shakespeare had given me words that felt good to say and they mm. felt delicious and meaty and and active in my mouth and therefore my body and therefore in the storytelling. He was giving me a character through the just the words and the way they were placed together. I just fell in love with saying it out aloud and I realised that was that's the key, is saying it out loud. Uh, and so I went home and, and luckily... My mum and dad had an extensive bookcase and they had Shakespeare. They had the complete works. Mm. And I just, I started reading and saying the words aloud as my own kind of self-education. And that's often the key, isn't it? Too often kids will just be forced to kind of read the book uh, rather mm. than actually treating it as a play, as, a, as characters, as performance. And that, that I, I find often kills it for, for children. But if they just mm-hmm. kind of stand up and read a bit out loud, suddenly it comes to life, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and you don't, this is way before the days of Google or anything where I could just look up who was Claudius, what does this mean? Mm. I had to work it out. And the interesting thing was I wasn't working it out right necessarily. There were lines that I completely misconstrued. Yep. But my director, uh, Tony Nichols, he enjoyed that. He said, well, actually, it means this, but it's kind of interesting uh, that you're a woman playing this man saying it that way. So keep it going that way. And it it sort of set me up, I guess. (laughs) For some reason, I get cast as male Shakespearean characters far far (laughs) more than female. So maybe that was was just uh, a sign of things to come. But I, I did come to it very, very late. And then after that, it was a couple of Shakespeare in the parks. Mm. But more than that, it was just self-education and saying it aloud to myself. Obviously, Kate, you're not 
just an actor, you're a writer as well, and you've written for stage and screen. As a writer, how has Shakespeare inspired you? Oh, that that same reason, the same uh, reasons that I love performing Shakespeare, and that is putting the right words together and making it delicious for an actor to say and for an audience to hear. Mm. It's like the actor has to pour the glass of wine and the audience sips it. It's it's a uh, and obviously there are there are some fabulous narratives in Shakespeare too that I've I've found inspiring. I love that he takes risks. I think the most important part of being a writer, uh, particularly of plays, is to take risks and be bold and be brave, and uh, don't toe the line uh, necessarily. And that's the wonderful thing that Shakespeare does: is he encourages you to use to be imaginative, uh, not just on stage but off stage. He encourages the audience to think things, mm. imagine what this, you know, O actually becomes. And yeah. I think, yeah, that's that's what I absolutely. Uh, take more than anything into my writing is trying to be as creative and bold and imaginative as possible with the resources that I have. Yeah. Now, way before Richard III, your first audition for the company, you did a piece of Claudius as your first audition for the company. Do you, do you, do you remember that? <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which shows that I was, even though I'd been, you know, doing my research, I was still terrified. I still hung on to that beautiful Claudius speech. Oh, my offense is rank. It smells to heaven. Mm. It hath the primal eldest curse upon it, a brother's, brother's murder. murder. Pray can I not. I loved that that speech. I loved uh, that Shakespeare had put his villain front and centre, mm. praying, and that we got to see someone who'd done the most awful thing actually have a crisis of conscience. And I guess the lapsed Catholic in me was really impressed that he kind of <laughs> went, sorry, God, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I want to keep this stuff anyway. <laughs> I'm going to continue the way I am. Thanks. Uh, there was something about that, and 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 the image of the snow with blood, and mm. this beautiful imagery that happens in that particular speech. And I took that in, and I did the audition in front of John Bell. But I was going for Beatrice, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what what possessed me to go in and do Claudius, but I did. Uh, and he said to me, he was beautiful. He said, that was a very strident audition. I'll oh, never forget that strident. word. God. And he was lovely. And then and then one day I went home and it had been raining, I remember, and there was a letter tucked under my front door and a handwritten letter and it was sort of running because the, the rain hmm. had hit it. But it was from John Bell saying, Kate, I loved your auditions. You didn't get the part, mm. but I promise we are going to keep you in mind for things down the track. And and a few years later, it was a a, a few years later that uh, I was asked to play Cassius in Julius Caesar. So that was your first role, Bell Shakespeare playing Cassius. Um, Peter Evans directed that production. It was a national tour. Um, Colin Moody was your Brutus. He what, was. What, what was that like? 30-odd venues around the country, six months on the road. What was that experience like? Oh, it was just incredible. In, in between the time of, of uh, the audition... <laughs> Claudius audition. I always think Claudius got me Cassius. It was he, I, I was really I was auditioning for Julius Caesar down the track. Mm. But in that time, 
I'd had a, a very traumatic couple of years. My partner had passed away. Uh, and so I'd kind of disappeared from theatre a bit and, and was using the time to heal. And and it wasn't going very well. I just, I, I really missed theatre, but I didn't know how I was going to get myself back on a stage and, and be really public. And uh, it was a really awful time. Mm. And then all of a sudden I got this offer to, to play Cassius and I it just floored me. But I needed to get bold and I needed to take a risk. Yeah. And I thought what better way to get back on a stage than to really hit every, <laughs> every stage going in Australia. Uh, I knew nothing about Julius Caesar, mm. nothing at all. I'd never seen it, I'd never read it. So I threw myself into that and it was such a beautiful way to educate myself about obviously the, the play but uh, about this this uh, wily little creature Cassius. And it was a really fantastic way as I got through my grief and my sadness uh, to to use Cassius as, mm. a, as a sort of vortex for that. Yeah. For some reason he, he helped me heal as did that tour. Mm. The great thing that Bell Shakespeare does is they cast so well, they put together people that are able to live together yeah. for that long <laughs> uh, and live in buses and, and motels and things together. And it gave me just this little community uh, as well as a, a national community because we were hanging out in country towns yeah, and, yeah. and then hitting the big city and, and it was a fantastic production as well. So. I, I, it was really was a um, a game changer for me, Julius Caesar, and I finally got to work with Bell Shakespeare. The first of many projects you worked with Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, following that, pretty soon after was Lady Macbeth, yeah. and uh, that was an I mean that was an extraordinary production, so intense. It was it was set on I remember on that blasted heath, uh, yeah. and, and it was just a, a, about the loneliness and isolation of mm-hmm. these characters. What was that experience like? It was a very eerie experience, uh, that particular play. We also had so many things go wrong uh, during that production. It was kind of notorious. It even made the Sydney Morning Herald as going, there is this weird cursed production going on at the moment, but it's really good. That's right. And now that was just before opening night. I, I wonder if you can tell us what, what is the real story about how all those boys got so sick and you just kind of sailed through. You you seem to be fine. What happened? It was my fault. I'll tell you why it was my fault. Okay. We, we had, uh, we were going so well. We'd had the most delightful rehearsal process. We were in the theatre. We were teching, uh, getting ready to preview and open and we had one of those uh, pre-season chats on stage where certain audience members are allowed to come and just ask us questions about right. what they will see when they do come to the show. Mm. Someone stood up and said, do you believe in the curse <laughs> from the audience? And I said, no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then I said the word over and over and over and over and over. Just to show the um, curse wasn't real. Yeah. I yeah. said, come on, we're sitting on the set. We're about, no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> And I remember looking along the the line of actors and some of them were chuckling. Some of them looked absolutely like deathly pale. <laughs> and I felt terrible because I went, I just totally imposed my own opinion on these people who might have their own beliefs. So mm. I'm terrible. So I said, why don't we all go out for burgers? There's a new <laughs> burger place that had opened at dinner break. Let's all go out for burgers and, you know. Yeah. And I apologised to everyone and everyone had their burgers and I was the only one that didn't 
eat egg on my burger. Mm. We all went back to the theatre. We all got into our costumes. We started taking again. And within half an hour, they just started dropping like flies. And by midnight, they were hospitalised. Oh, yeah. We had to cancel previews. We had to cancel opening. Mm. We had to cancel a lot of shows. And I was just (laughs) mortified. Because I went. Because you'd suggested the the place. (laughs) (laughs) I'd suggested it because I had said the the word on stage, Mm. and it was it was this weird kind of warped way of the curse taking taking (laughs) hold. And we had a few other kind of mishaps during that tour as well. But it was I I loved it. I loved playing. I loved playing Lady Macbeth. What do you love about Lady M? What, What do you love about her? I love that she really. Well, for, for a start, I think uh, we are we are exploring a character when she's a character that is deeply grieving, but not in the sad phase of grief. She's in the angry, bitter, mm. hopeless time of grief where she needs something to to cling to. She needs an ambition. She's she she's desperate to crawl out of this awful, awful, morbid hole that I believe the death of her child has put her in. Mm. She's sexy. So's so's he. They are a young couple. They yeah. have so much ahead of them. And so to to play a character that is so desperate for that hope and that gravitas and that social acceptance again is a really uh, delicious uh, character to, to, to get your teeth into. And then to watch her slowly deteriorate and to play that is is a is a is a very tricky thing to do, but also a very beautiful exploration of the human psyche and and what grief can actually do to someone, especially if her ally lets go of her hand yeah. or she lets go of his. Dan Spielman and I, who who worked who played Macbeth, we worked very very closely before the production even started, before rehearsals even started. We would just talk, 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 talk mm, about these mm. two particular characters and and what they need together and what they need apart. I, I just adored playing her. Plus, Anne accordingly gave me a great dress. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> now, spe- speaking of the Scottish play, you came back to it. Um, with your work with Yira Yarkin, Aboriginal Theatre Company in Perth as the dramaturg on their production of Hecate. Now, that was an extraordinary production and uh, Bell Shakespeare was uh, so fortunate to to be able to be a part of it, be associated with that production. What was that process like working with Kylie Bracknell, the writer, working um, with Shakespeare and Noongar language and those amazing artists over there in WA? It was Kylie adapting Macbeth into the Noongar language. The Noongar language, uh, the Noongar people, are some of the oldest people in history. They they are an, they are from southwestern Australia. They they are the indigenous first um, first people of that land, and they have this extraordinary language, which, like most indigenous languages, is in real danger of dying uh, because so many of these languages have been disallowed and Kylie really responded to the play Macbeth and saw something in it that would relate it would jigsaw together beautifully or that would layer with the Noongar language and she is uh, the holder of of much of the language she's been entrusted with passing it on yeah and so she did the incredibly 
brave thing of bringing this indigenous words to a very, very, you know, Anglo text. Mm -hmm. And as a result, found things in it that I just didn't ever see there. Sure. The relationship to the land. Yep. The importance of sharing a land, not having a kingdom or having kingship. Mm. The danger of hierarchy. And she brought these actors together, Yuri Yarkin brought these actors together with her text, some of whom had been told from childbirth that they weren't allowed to speak their language. Yes, yeah. And that was an absolutely devastating journey to, to be an observer of, but also one of the most beautiful things I've ever had the privilege to, to watch. Mm. In the rehearsal room, it was almost all Noongar language. Mm, mm. Uh, Kylie would insist that people only spoke Noongar in the rehearsal room. And so it was really fabulous to watch people either learn the language that was theirs to own anyway or re-associate with it. And for this Wajula, <laughs> white woman, sitting in the corner, it was just an honour to be trusted in that world and with those words. And they're beautiful words. Uh, I think Shakespeare would have loved them. And Kylie and Shakespeare, Kylie has such great respect for Shakespeare and I think he would have dug Kylie so much. 100%, no doubt. (laughs) So, Kate, we've almost come to the end of our episode today. Thank you so much. Uh, We've just got one little segment at the end we like to do. It's called The Final Five. And uh, it's five quick questions and uh, (laughs) we need quick answers for for (laughs) for them. Here we go, number one. (laughs) As an actor, I think I know the answer to this one. As an actor, do you like to be the lover or the villain? Villain. (laughs) Kate, what is your most underrated Shakespeare play? Titus Andronicus. Ooh. Who's your favourite actor you haven't worked with you'd love to work with? Leah Purcell. Oh, wow. Oh, you've never worked with Leah? I've never worked with Leah. I just adore her work as a director, writer, actor. I, I would, yeah, we'd just be... And it would be amazing to work with Leah. If anyone can make that happen, please do. (laughs) Kate, what is your dream Shakespeare role that you haven't played yet? Puck. Oh, you want to play Puck? I've always wanted to play Puck. Does does Puck fit villain or lover? (laughs) Kind of neither, but a bit of both. Yeah, I think so. That's great. Oh, good Mm. idea. Okay, let's talk to Peter about that. (laughs) And, uh, And Kate, if you weren't an actor, what would you be doing? I think I'd be an, an historian. Yeah. I've yeah, I I think but I think because <laughs> I love history. I love exploring how we got here and and why we're here and whether we deserve to be here and all of that and I I just I adore history. Uh so I think that's what I'd want to be. Kate, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Speak the Speech today. Thanks so much, James. It's been lovely to be here and speak the speech. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform.